1: Hi guys, Colin Kelly here, executive producer of RotoViz Radio and co host of the RotoViz Overtime podcast with Sean Siegel. We are closing in on 200 episodes and it's competition time, but more on that in just a moment want well, to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, as always, you can save yourself 10% off a Road NFL Pass. All that you need to do is enter that code RVRADIO2021 at checkout on the website or go to roadbiz.com forward slash podcast for more information. You can get all the access to all of the great tools on the site, all of the content, get yourself ready to win your fantasy championships this upcoming season. I mentioned competition time. Well, now here's the news. 200 episodes coming up here for myself and Sean. We're giving away some RotoViz subscriptions. It's super simple to enter. Just drop a five star review for RotoViz Overtime on your favorite podcast app for a chance to win. The top prize is a three month subscription and an appearance on a future RotoViz Overtime podcast to get a talk with myself and Sean. Already have a RotoViz subscription? Thank you for that. But don't worry, if you win, we'll add it on to your current subscription. So, what are you waiting for? Drop that review today for the RotoViz Overtime podcast. And of course, when you're there, drop a rating for today's show as well that you're listening along to. Thanks as always for being a loyal podcast listener on RotoViz Radio. Enjoy the show.
2: We're talking team, pace, and pass rush tendencies on RotoViz Radio. What's up, RotoViz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin. Alongside Curtis Patrick, we're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. As I mentioned, uh, in the first episode of the week, with the draft coming up on Thursday through the weekend, I didn't want to bring up too many topics where we might have changing situations. So I thought it would be cool if we zoomed out a little bit, Curtis, and just took a look at some of the tendencies that teams displayed last year. Which teams were the ones that were operating the fastest, which operated at a slower pace, who had the highest passing volume, the lowest rushing volume, different things like that. And we'll just kind of explore these numbers as we talk about the results and think this through as to how it might have applications as we look into the 2021 season, because I do think that lots of times you can get a much better perspective of what players in a specific offense will be able to do when you understand the way that it operates. So for example, when I start doing my projections, which is a really lengthy process every year, my initial starting point for every team is going back and looking at the coach, looking at the way that they've operated over the last five seasons, because in order for me to create an accurate projection, I need to know how many passing and how many rushing attempts this team is going to have to allocate to its players. Uh, so, you know, it's a very important thing that we kind of start off and, and hone in on those numbers to start. So how do you think that sounds?
3: I think it sounds great. Um, some tools that, you know, if you want to follow along, uh, if you hear something and you want to dive deeper on it and you're a sub and you've got the access to the whole tool set, um, the a really fun one to use, I've used it recently in some of my Dynasty Trade Targets articles, is the Team Splits app. Our Game Splits app is one of the most famous apps in the fantasy universe you see um i mean every major site uh uses it uh the most popular most well-read uh analysts in the in the world are using our game splits app the team splits app in addition to our pace tools are what'll get us through a conversation like this and uh, i'm pretty excited to see where it goes dave
2: yeah for sure so let's uh hit another fantasy deep dive So the first thing that I want to talk about is just a couple of the big changes. So we know that Arthur Smith is in in Atlanta as the head coach. Um, He likely will be calling the plays as the OC. So if I reference anything about Atlanta, that's going to be something that might change. Detroit, uh, Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn stepping into the fold there. That's one to keep in mind. Um, Houston Texans changes at... uh, Their head coach there, uh, David Kelly, coming in uh, was Baltimore's passing coordinator. Um, Trying to think if there's obviously we've talked about Urban Meyer uh, and Daryl Bevel heading into Jacksonville. Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi in L.A. I think that those were some of the of of the most notable ones, unless there was. Oh, I guess the Jets, too, um, you know, with the new coaching staff there as well. And then Philadelphia. Um, any other staff changes that I that I didn't hit upon there that you think are noteworthy?
3: No, just uh, probably the most exciting non-change uh, when we carry over twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one is Brian Daybull staying in Buffalo. Um, I've been excited about it all off-season uh, that we don't have to worry about too much changing there, other than maybe the the personnel in the backfield. So um, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes uh, keeping things the way they are. Uh, can be just as important as projecting, you know, how things might change uh, uh, when we swap out, uh, you know, the people calling the plays, designing the offense.
2: For sure. All right, so let's take a look at just the top 10 in total plays per game. Obviously, it helps if you have a team that is going to give their players a lot of opportunity, and then even on top of that, if they're quality opportunities. So the top 10, we actually see the Chargers coming in as the team that recorded the most plays per game last year, followed by Dallas. Now, that might kind of change this year if they're controlling the games a little bit more when Dak gets back into the fold and they're operating in a stronger fashion than they did last year. Of course, though, even before Dak went out, we saw the defense really struggling, and they were in a lot of games where they had to play from behind. They kind of got into shootouts. The Rams were third. Uh, The Eagles... And Arizona and Atlanta all ran 69 plays uh, per game. Washington 68, KC 68, Pittsburgh, and then San Francisco. As I'm looking through those teams, I think it's, it's interesting to note that we have Arizona at the 69 mark. I also think that uh, the LA Rams running 70 plays per game should be interesting to see how Matthew Stafford changes things in there but that is one of those that speaks to the opportunity that we have for the group of receivers hopefully getting a little bit of a lift playing with Matthew Stafford
3: yeah that um there's a couple of teams that we need to do a deep dive on there Uh, I would like to actually start with with Dallas yep um Dallas 70 plays a game tied for second uh based off of your queries there from the pace uh the pace app I I'm over here in the team splits app and and you said something that caught my attention in, in your lead-in there, talking about, you know, well, what happens if Dallas controls the game a little bit more? You know, Dak Prescott, back yep. of the helm, healthy. CD Lamb in here, too. Maybe Zeke's in a little bit better shape this year. All of those things. Well, it might surprise you, Dave, that per the Team Splits app, in the five games we got from Dak Prescott in 2020, the team actually averaged about seven and a half more plays per game. They averaged 74.6 per, uh, plays per game with Dak Prescott. And they also average thirty-two point six points per game oh, in those my. five games to just to just twenty-one point zero nine points in the eleven non-DAC games. So not only um, do we potentially see Dallas play even faster than last year with DAC back, uh, more of those drives and more of those plays are going to end in touchdowns. Uh, it's it's essentially you know over the course of a season. I mean we're talking eleven. 11 points a game, and we're talking 20-plus touchdowns, I think is the difference with Dak, with Dak at quarterback. And you think about all the people who could be on the receiving end uh, or the carrying end of, of those uh, trips to the to the end zone. So Dallas is an offense that when we look at pace, when we look at efficiency, we expect them to bounce back in every way. This season, they have some of the best skill players in the entire league. We're, we're hearing a lot of chatter in the NFL draft about them reinforcing that line. I personally would selfishly for fantasy purposes, like to see them do that and not address the defense because we can continue to get some more of these, uh, these shootouts like we got last season and uh, man, Dallas, it's just one of those teams where uh, invest early and invest often, you know, in any format uh, for 2021. So that's the first team I really wanted to highlight Dave.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then just to put some more numbers to that, they were first or tied for first with Atlanta and Pittsburgh in passing volume per game. Um, in terms of pace, in all situations, they were the fastest team overall, 23 point3 seconds per play. Of course, when Dak was out and even in some of the games he was in, they were playing from behind. But even in a neutral pace, they actually operated as the second fastest team at 25 and a half seconds per play. Only Arizona operated quicker. Uh So like you said, this is super exciting, and even though there's a lot of names there, I actually am on board with the idea that there should be enough production coming out of Dallas that it makes these players viable. Any other offenses that I mentioned just in that first uh that that first group there of the top 10 in plays per game that you wanted to jump into or you want to look at uh, some rushing volume.
3: No, I think I think it's interesting to see the Rams show up uh tied with Dallas yep. at 70 plays per game. Um, when I think about how I felt watching that team last year and I hadn't done a, you know, a place for game study on them. Um, but I felt like, you know, this is a, a defense first, um, keep the game close team. Um, and for them to be top 10 in play volume, it, that's not how I remember them, but it's possible that I'm just providing, you know, my, in my brain as a warning sign, uh, uh about how to invest in, in <laughs> fantasy this year, I might be remembering the end of the season too strongly, uh, when they were, you know, after Goff had the the hand injury and they're, you know, they're, they're putting in, um, I, I, I honestly can't even remember the player's name um, that, that started in week 17 and was maybe, did he even start the playoff game? I think actually as well, um, I'm having a total brain fart on air here, Dave, uh, but they, they, it got really interesting at quarterback in LA and it basically just became hand the ball off to Acres and hope something happens. So, um, I, yeah, I agree. It could be very exciting for Matthew Stafford. We've seen him, um, uh, you know, be, uh, I guess, the conductor of some high-flying offenses in Detroit. Uh, didn't reach, you know, much real NFL success uh, on those teams. But this is a, a quarterback we've seen, you know, flirt with that 5,000 passing yard. Mark, he certainly has plenty of targets to distribute the ball to. Uh, with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and then now Deshaun Jackson for the home runs. So it's very interesting to think about, in particular, what it could mean for Cam Akers. I mean, he's he's a very trendy player, both in dynasty and in best ball. I feel like he's a player, maybe uh, that investors are uh, buying at his potential ceiling right now. Um, but I don't think it's really too, you don't have to squint too hard to see him doing like an 80% of Pete Gurley type situation. If that team just starts being good again. Uh, if they start scoring a lot of touchdowns. we I mean, we know Sean McVay is very happy to let the same player score all the touchdowns there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's another offense that uh, could make or break fantasy uh, teams in 2021.
2: Yeah. And, you know, in addition to just that high overall volume, they were actually top 10 in rushing volume as well, which is one of those things that we could point to for Cam Akers um, as something that could be a big boost to his value. It gives some opportunity that if, even if he doesn't get all of the carries, he could still get this sufficient volume. So there's a lot to like there. Now, there was one team that I actually wanted to ask you about in specific, because we see Cleveland coming in Um, towards the top of the numbers there with 30 rushes per game. I know we've talked about that split between Hunt and Chubb and how that might play out, but we haven't talked too much about um, the receiving core. And you have OBJ, Jarvis Landry, Higgins. You have a couple of options at tight end. Uh, We see this team running a lot, but should we really be looking also potentially at guys like Landry and Beckham, whose value is is falling um, as options? Or do you think that we're best served just trying to target the running game?
3: Yeah, before I answer that question, I got to circle back to the Rams here because I can't, okay. I can't leave. Okay. I got to tie this up. It was John Wolford. Okay, it was John Wolford was the quarterback. Right. Uh, there's, yeah, I could not think of his name, and I'm not going to leave the listeners out there hanging thinking I'm this Bush League Podcaster, It's not going to you know go back and fact check. It's John Wolford. The reason I didn't remember him is because he's never going to be relevant in the NFL again. Uh, background uh, as a collegiate quarterback at Wake Forest. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. Looks like he will celebrate his 26th birthday on October 16th this year. So uh, happy early birthday, John Wolford. You had your moment in the sun. <laughs> uh, maybe this is your second one because uh, someone's mentioning you again. Um, but any anyway... I move on, move on to the, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, man. boy, John Wolford's wife is not even drafting him in fantasy. Okay. I don't think I'm being, <laughs>
2: Oh God. Here.
3: um, <laughs> yep. But anyway, let's, let's move on to, to Cleveland. Um, it's hard for me to really be overly objective, uh, or fully objective with Cleveland. I mean, those are the, the Brownies are my home. They're my home squad. Um, I think, you know, what I see happening this year is the team um, really trying to involve uh, Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt both in the receiving game a little bit more? Um, I don't think that the the touch counts will change much from what we saw at the end of last season. Um, once Chubb came back healthy, Hunt was really more of that complementary back. It was not; it was really no longer a one A one B situation. It was it was a clear cut A B uh, uh, running back committee. I think that that will continue this season. Um, Kevin Stefanski has had several pressers this offseason talking about wanting to be a little bit more explosive, and that might be one reason uh, to hold out some hope. However, I've also heard some chatter in the last week uh, from several Cleveland beats that they are in on Diami Brown uh, as a potential uh, day two target. And you know, if if they do select Diami Brown with the type of pass volume that we should expect from Cleveland, I think that would that would tell us a little bit about what we need to know um, about the team's plans uh, with Odell Beckham Jr. beyond 2020, in particular, um, so I think that'll be interesting from a from a dynasty perspective, and uh, potentially over the course of the year, uh, we could see you know Baker create some of that chemistry. We saw him do it with Rashad. Uh, Rash- We're driven by the search for better,
0: but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
3: Higgins last year. Uh, he's found a way to get a third receiver involved in spots. The player that I'm looking at in Cleveland, even if they don't change their run pass splits, uh, the player I'm excited about in year two is Harrison Bryant. Uh, we saw some flashes from him at tight end last season. He had great efficiency metrics coming, uh, I think, out of FAU, I believe, uh, memory serves. Uh, and, you know, I, I, he really... Uh, outperformed his draft position last year. I know the team's very high on him and uh, would look for him maybe to start to put a stranglehold uh, on more of that tight end uh, target market share, despite Austin Hooper being there. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.
0: Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's th- those are some really good notes. Uh, just to give a little bit of background, too, on the target uh, volume. So Landry last year was at 6.7 targets per game, OBJ at 6.3, then we had Higgins coming in at 4. And then for the tight ends... Uh, Austin Hooper was at 5.4. Harrison Bryant at 2.5. And, and then David Njoku uh, was at 2.2 when he did play. So those are some really interesting names. Uh, Brown heading there would be super intriguing. Uh, and what I would like about that is I could see some people thinking that OBJ is already there. They have Higgins. They have Landry. There's going to be no room for him to really be able to prosper. I would caution people, though, if they think that to go back and look at that profile a little a little bit closer. Well, Cleveland hasn't, they haven't been
3: able to get the the home run connection really going. I mean, Baker has not found it consistently with anyone since he's been there. That's why they brought Odell Beckham Jr. to Cleveland. They haven't found that consistency. If you remember uh, at different times last year and even in 2019, Jarvis Landry, uh, Jarvis Landry was actually even emerging as more of a downfield threat than Odell Beckham Jr. just because of the chemistry uh, that he had in the timing with Baker. So it's actually a need for Cleveland. And it would be interesting to see what would happen. Uh, you know, we know they're a heavy play action team. And so what we, what we might be able to get out of Cleveland, though they're not going to, you know, ever be confused with a top 10 pass volume team, we might be able to see them still get their receivers there on efficiency. Baker, uh, you know, maybe giving us some of the, the Minnesota type Kirk Cousins production where we get, we get the 25 to 30 touchdowns despite, you know, only 80% of the elite, you know, passing team volume.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah. So some more good stuff there on Cleveland. Uh, If you are done with the Browns, we can now hit onto a very interesting thing that I saw. And that is Seattle last year. They did not run the ball nearly as much as people would think. And actually, I, I almost have to go and fact check myself here. I see them coming out in the bottom 10 in rushing attempts. I said to myself, I need to go and look and see what Chris Carson was averaging for rushing attempts per game. He was actually only at 11.8 attempts per game. You had Carlos Hyde at eight. Now, uh, Chris Carson last year, I believe, was banged up at stretches. But this is kind of interesting as we start to think about what this team could look like heading into 2021. Chris Carson will be back. People might be excited. Uh, but I think that you can make an argument that we're at the point where this Chris Carson that you're seeing heading into 2021 needs to be thought about differently than the Chris Carson that we saw heading into you know, even as recently as 2020 to put a little bit of context behind it. Last year in points per game, Chris Carson ranked in at um, 14 in PPR per game last year was an RB one in 42% of games. So actually that is despite the, the volume there, actually, that is pretty impressive. He's only 26 in EP per game was efficient with eight uh, ranking eight in fantasy points over expectation per game do you have any uh strong thoughts on carson
3: well i know the thoughts from carson i mean whenever he gets behind a mic the last two to three months he won't shut up about rashad penny that's all he wants to talk about uh he is saying that he, uh, he always mentions rashad penny rashad penny and i are going to be the most dangerous duo in the nfl he's an exciting young player he's really starting to grasp the offense he was electric i mean chris carson will not i mean uh, he either truly believes that Penny is awesome or he's trying to let us know that I'm not interested in shouldering the full load uh here anymore. You know, the other thing that that we have to keep in mind with uh Seattle is Shane Waldron comes over from the Sean McVay coaching tree now to run that offense. And you know, Pete Carroll has talked about wanting to get, you know, back to that running game, but I also think it's some of the elements that uh we'll see in the passing game being brought over or i guess up from la and that's going to be you know that's going to be really interesting you know you think about how la was using cooper cup and robert woods uh how their route trees complemented one another and we think about how different dk metcalf and tyler lockett are from one another i think that that could be pretty interesting um and and also you know with chris carson and, and rashad penny maybe there is more of a split than anyone would would have ever thought um uh, or at least Carson, you know, maybe wants to go to draft himself uh, more cheaply in fantasy by, you know, pushing his name down. Uh, when I look at the splits and the team splits app um, from 2020 with and without Chris Carson, there's not an appreciable difference in rushing attempts per game. I was wondering, you know, I know he missed the four games last year, was wondering if that was dragging some of the sample down. They averaged 26 rushing attempts a game with him and 24 and a half without him. I mean, I'm not sure that that's material. And uh, team points for with and without Carson, you know, largely unchanged. So, uh, yeah, not sure the running back matters. It's more the the scheme that matters uh, in
2: Seattle, at least historically. The final team I want to talk about, Curtis, is one that we have spoken negatively about now for a number of pods, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. Let's just put a little bit more behind this, right? We talked about how, Um, it's going to be hard for a lot of those players in that offense to get the passing volume that they need, and then even for Dobbins and Edwards, um, to not cannibalize each other, given the number of times that we also see Lamar Jackson rushing. Now they did lead the league; they were top ten in rushing volume, thirty-four um rushes per game. It should not surprise you that they were dead last in passing with just twenty-six passing attempts. Per game, and it should also then not surprise you that in terms of total plays, they did not run very many when you compare them to the rest of the league. And above everything else, too, not only uh, are there those factors, they also just operate at a very slow pace in neutral places. Only green or neutral game scripts. Only Green Bay was slower with 30.3 seconds per play. Baltimore came in at 30.2. Have we hated on Baltimore so much that we don't even need to talk about this anymore? And we can just leave it with the facts? Or do you think that uh, there's anything to add?
3: I think there's some things to add because I think people, uh, many people want to believe that this is going to change this year. And when you when you look at the people who are in charge and how they're talking about this team, um, I I don't I'm not sure that I believe it. I know they're rumored as a a heavy favorite to draft a wide receiver at the end of the first round. And, you know, they want to add, you know, a a bigger body to complement Marquise Hollywood Brown. They brought in Sammy Watkins, who, of course, has familiarity uh, with the offensive coordinator dating back to their days in Buffalo together. But I'm just going to read you. I, I think it's a really telltale quote from John Harbaugh. Now, this is a little bit raw. Uh, it's January 20th, 2021. You know, so shortly after they're eliminated from the playoffs. But uh, this is uh, John, John Harbaugh. Um, I, I tend to, to believe uh, he seems to be a, a pretty transparent coach. Um, and when I see these things uh, and read these things, it's a little concerning. So here's his direct quote. We throw it less than most teams do because we run so well. Kurt, he's talking about kurt warner who had just blasted him on the uh, on tv kurt would probably love to see us being a drop back passing team that gets the ball out on time in a west coast type style or the greatest show on turf type style offense but that's not the offense we run and we're not going to change our offense because it doesn't fit his eye it goes back to the same criticism we've heard the last three years about not being the type of offense or having the type of quarterback that some people want to see they're just going to have to live with it because Lamar Jackson has won a lot of football games here, and our offense has won us a lot of football games here, and we're not going to apologize for that for one second. <laughs> so, so I mean that that's, <laughs> that is an impact. I mean that is an impact. I mean this is, like they they have one of the best win percentages in football, you know, since Lamar Jackson took over. They're they're historically great uh, NFL uh, rushing attack, probably the best rushing team in NFL history. All things considered. I mean they should continue to play to their strengths. They just need to be able to pass it when they need to be able to pass it. And uh you know you know so I you know I I went in very heavy famously on Hollywood Brown last year and you know he actually ended up having a huge team target market share and it, so in some ways I was I was right on him having the type of role I wanted him to have but the team didn't change the offense enough. Lamar Jackson didn't develop as a passer and you know those comments that we hear directly from Uh, The grand poobah of Baltimore himself don't seem to, you know, they don't they don't give me any uh, hope for that team changing its identity in 2021.
2: Yeah, and I think that really just kind of encompasses why if people do get excited when a young wide receiver lands there, um, you need to take it into perspective. Just because he goes there does not mean this this team is going to change what they're doing Um, for all of the reasons that Harbaugh outlined so I would say that you don't want to read into anything the team does in this draft even if they grab multiple guys that could get into roles as receivers Uh, you don't want to change the way that you're assessing this team and you probably don't want to get overly excited about who those players are Uh, but just to kind of close things off here let's say that one of the Alabama wide receivers somehow ended up in Baltimore Of course, you know there's going to be some corollary there between them and Brown, a guy that they might get comp to, but let's say a guy of that, uh, you know, of that caliber goes there, are we saying that people should not get excited about that prospect and that would be a huge hit to his value? Yeah,
3: I mean, uh, yeah, I'm definitely saying that. Um, The team can only support two pass catching weapons, and it can't support them at an elite level. I mean, Mark Andrews, I think it's pretty easy to pencil him in for you know like top six uh tight end status because of the touchdown upside he has and we know we're gonna get some of those huge spike games from him those especially his multiple touchdown games and you know I do think there's something you know I I think the chemistry with Hollywood at the end of the year really started to take off you know he looked better uh in the in the playoffs you know with Lamar and you know, he's been pretty noisy pretty boisterous this offseason about wanting the team to have more balance I don't think he's necessarily going to get his way but if they continue to build the chemistry, maybe they just connect more often on the targets that he does see. Um, I just I mean, this team is not gonna prop up three pass catchers. It's just not gonna happen unless the defense, you know, half of the starting defense drives off a cliff together uh and they can't stop anybody <laughs> anymore. Like that's that that's that's just not gonna it's just not gonna happen. Um the, the defense is is too good. They control the clock too much with the running backs. There, there there's not a reason for the team to play a different style they're already playing um where where are they uh where were they actually in pace that's the only thing i don't see they they were second
2: slowest in neutral pace slow everywhere
3: yeah i mean so so baltimore is the second slowest team in the nfl and in neutral pace i mean so you have to believe that something is going to change they're going to have less you know neutral game situations in 2021 and i just don't i mean i just don't see you know why we would why we would think that um This this team is this team is what it is. I think the most important thing to get right here is uh, paying the right prices for J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards uh, paying the (laughs) right price for Hollywood and Mark Andrews. And I'm not sure that uh, Sammy Watkins or any rookie that they draft is going to, you know, make any kind of fantasy splash uh, in 2021 at least.
2: All right. That wraps us up nicely for this episode. A reminder, give us a call at 978-615-9214 as well.